Take your Bible, please turn to Psalm, would you? Psalm chapter 34 in the Scripture. Psalm 34 in the Scripture. Psalm 34 is where we're at. I want to mention there's a table out in the lobby to your right and uh, as you leave, and uh, it has several things on it, some good books, some good, uh, good CDs, some uh, good resources. There's some things that the boys have made, and, and I hope that you'll stop by. We use that to go to the mission field, and the Lord's allowed us ever since we've been in evangelism to go at least once a year to the mission field, sometimes more, and so we're very, very grateful to him for that. This last uh, November, we were in Italy and uh, have been there several times in Italy, and we have been with uh, Pastor Maeda and Brother Paul Childers in Grosseto, Italy, and up in Pisa. Uh, the church in Pisa is the first Baptist church founded in a thousand years. And so what an opportunity there is to preach the gospel there. And I'm so thankful for what the Lord allowed us to do. In June, we were able to go up into Thompson, Manitoba, which is 11 hours north of North, Dak north Dakota. So just a stunning trip up into the subarctic region of Canada. And uh, it's such an amazing place. Uh, it's surrounded by reservations, a lot of native people there. And uh, everybody comes to Thompson so that they can get their booze and get their supplies. And uh, we found people that were drunk throughout the day, 15,000 people, lots of people drunk morning, noon, and night, men, women, teenagers. It was stunning. And uh, because of all the despair, the drugs and the alcohol, and, and uh, there's little little hope that's offered. There's about 12 different churches where we were at in Thompson, and there are only two pastors in all those churches, and a lot of different kinds of churches, obviously. So uh, there was a, a church or a town there of about three hours away from Thompson where the missionary told me there had been a suicide a day for three months, and that's the result of hopelessness and despair and the result of a whole lot of sin. So there's a lot of need around the world and a great opportunity to reach this world right now with the gospel. So I'm sure thankful that the Lord has given us that opportunity tonight. Thank you for coming and being a part of this service. Let's ask the Lord to, pray, to really speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you've given us the privilege of being here in this place again tonight. Thank you for those that are gathered here. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and help me to say only what you would have me to say. And Lord, I pray that you would take your word straight to the heart of every person here. Lord, I pray that you'd bind Satan and all of his forces that would like to confuse and our minds, our thinking. And Lord, I pray that you would set those that have been confused by him free tonight. Do something tonight in this place that would not soon be forgotten. And I pray that if there's anyone here or anyone listening that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, they don't know where they'll spend eternity, they don't know that their sin problem has been solved, I pray that tonight they would come to Jesus and, and put their faith in Him and accept His gift of eternal life. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do because we ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Revival is a subject that needs to be discussed, that is often discussed, but a great deal of confusion exists concerning this matter of revival. I would say that revival, along with the subjects of prophecy and, and the subject of, uh, of America, uh, all three of those things uh, in different forms or facets have been used by con men in the pulpit, and they've been used to lead people astray. 
And I certainly don't want to be one of those. I want to go to the Word of God and get my understanding from the Word of God on any particular given subject. And I want to convey a biblical understanding of any particular subject from the Word of God. And the way you can look past any deception or confusion is to go to the Word of God. Be like those that were part of Berea and that searched the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And and even those that were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And they searched the Scriptures scriptures daily. So, but revival needs to be discussed. Revival, its definitions, its concepts need to be explained. I would say that sometimes it has been, though well-intended, poorly presented as somewhat of a carrot on a stick that we're always pursuing and never attaining. And I don't believe that's the way God presents revival in the scripture. Uh, Sometimes people present it that way. Sometimes authors or preachers or writers present revival as somewhat of a carrot on a stick. At least it's motivation to keep the people in a forward momentum and forward motion. I don't believe that's a right way. I believe revival is something you can have right now. You can have today. I don't think that the Lord is putting revival at the end of a corn maze hoping that we won't find it, but that we'll always be searching for it. I think some people understand revival in a mis, uh, misunderstanding sort of way in, in that they, if it really did show up, they might be a little disappointed. They don't understand what the Bible teaches about revival. Sometimes revival is presented almost as if it's a mystical and ethereal concept and, and we're, we're waiting for some strange solar lunar eclipse or, or a ring of fire to happen. That only happens every once every 34 years, but hopefully you'll get in on it when revival happens. I don't think that's the way revival is presented in the Word of God at all. So I'd like to just give a few definitions about revival and then land on the one that we're going to unpack tonight and and, and see what the Bible has to say. Somebody said revival is a people saturated with God. I believe that's a very good definition of revival. And by the way, let me just pause before I go further with these definitions and say that revival is for God's people. It is for those that have already been saved. If you're not saved tonight, you don't need revival. You need vival. You need life. The word revive means life again, revive, life again. And so it it is the idea of, of reviving those that already have life. In other words, a person can be alive, but they are unconscious. A person can be alive, but they're asleep. Uh, They're just not aware of what's going on around them, and they need to be awakened. That's the idea of revival. And so a a person that needs revival is a believer that has either gotten a little too far away from the Lord, and one step is too far away from the Lord, or they are drifting from the Lord in the currents of this world and swirling currents that are taking them away, or or they are, are asleep spiritually, or they're unconscious. Maybe a wound in their life has caused them to go unconscious spiritually or they've just turned out the lights of their spiritual uh, awakening and their spiritual well-being and awareness. And so revival is not for those that are lost. Someone said America needs revival. No, America does not need revival. Christians in America need revival if we're going to be specific. The Christians in this church need revival. The Christians in this town and in this county need revival. Uh, America can benefit from a revival and has. I personally believe there wouldn't even be an America had there not been the first great awakening. And the first great awakening sparked uh, something that happened all the way from the early part of the 1700s 
all the way till you come to 1775 and 1776 when America was birthed and, 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 and even afterwards. And then there were ensuing revivals that came at Yale University and Harvard and Princeton and, and, and preachers were at the helm and trying to call for revival. And so it certainly benefited America. When the Second Great Awakening happened in the early 1800s, there was a spiritual disinterest and there was a need for revival. And that Second Great Awakening spawned by the likes of Ashley Nettleton and Timothy Dwight and different ones even, even spawning off to great, uh, greater things like under Charles Finney and different ones. Uh, it benefited America. In fact, a few years ago, a few years ago, Reader's Digest highlighted the, uh, the Burnt Earth Revival up in Rochester, uh, Rochester, New York, and it said that this part of the country was one of the most pleasant places to live, and it, they would attribute it back to and tie it back to the revivals under Charles Finney 160 years ago. Now, I don't know any other preacher that has preached and uh, the place has become a better place and remains to be a better place 160 years after the fact. But, but that's a result of revival. The 1858 prayer revival benefited America and benefited it greatly. And, and there were preachers that were saved during that time, like D.L. Moody, and that went on into the, and through the Civil War and into the end of the 1800s, early part of the 1900s. Uh, the Welsh revival that was there in Wales, it hopped the pond, came to America, went all the way out to the West Coast and went up and down the West Coast into Denver, Colorado. It was a mighty move of God. That sparred, spurred, spurred the revival's uh, that happened in the early part of the 1900s in America and benefited America and the prayer, the, the revivals that happened in the uh, late teens all the way up into the early 50s were something that helped America. And Pastor and I were talking today about the great move of God in our kind of churches in, in the 60s and 70s and even early 80s that, that just caused many, many wonderful things to happen. So yes, a nation can benefit from revival, but it's not the nation that needs it. It's the individual Christians in the nation, first and foremost, that need revival. Now, let me just pause and say something else about revival before we go further into definitions. This is very important. Uh, revival in the Bible produces evangelism, not the other way around. When you have revival in the heart of a Christian, he naturally goes to tell people about Christ. It doesn't have to be forced or extracted or prodded or bribed or threatened. No, when a person is revived in their heart, a Christian, he naturally tells people about Jesus. And you find this all throughout the Bible. The Samaritan woman got saved and she was a satisfied customer. And that's what person, when a person gets revived, they become all of a sudden again a satisfied customer with Jesus. And they go tell everybody. They tell everybody about the Lord. You can't keep a Christian that has been revived quiet about his Savior. And I believe this has happened. You can have evangelism without revival, but you can't have revival without evangelism. Revival is when the body gets whole. Evangelism is when it reproduces. And I believe if I may use this analogy, you'll excuse it. We have taken a young couple that needs to reproduce and wants to reproduce and tries to reproduce, but they can't reproduce because of cancer in their bodies, and we've taken them out of the cancer ward before the problem has been fixed and put it in the maternity ward hoping to, that they will have babies. No, no, no. If the body is healthy, it will gladly reproduce and naturally reproduce. 
And so tonight, I just want to give you a few definitions concerning this thing of revival. First, revival is a people saturated with God, consumed with Him, consumed with His presence, consumed with His Word, consumed with the joy of salvation. Number two, someone said revival in the Saskatoon, Saskatchewan revivals that were taking place in, in Canada in the early 1970s. Uh, there were two preachers, the Satara twins, that went up there. And all of a sudden they went into a, a preacher. Brother Bill was the preacher. And, and it was a hard place. He tried to get his people soul winning. Couldn't get them soul winning. He tried to get them praying. And couldn't get them praying. And boy, he just said, we need revival. And so he started emphasizing the Wednesday night prayer meeting. He said, I don't care if you come to any other service, come to that service, and the Satara twins came along, and they began to preach, and, and they stayed for several weeks, and real revival broke out, relationships were reconciled that previously had been alienated, and people began to get saved, and from all over the country, and even into America, people would call up there to the preacher and to the Satara twins and say things like this, we have been praying for two years for God to send revival to that area and to that church and to that body. And do you know what one of the Satara twins said? He said, this is my definition of revival. It is hidden springs revealed. Hidden springs revealed. That's a good definition of revival. When somebody's been praying and digging a well and digging deep for God to somehow refreshes people and all of a sudden the bubbling of that water comes up and it's revealed above the surface. Here's another definition of revival. Man in close fellowship with God again. Now in the garden, man was in close fellowship with God. What broke that fellowship? What broke that fellowship? Sin, right? And so God had a plan of redemption already in place, and he killed the animal and covered them with the coats of skins, and the blood was shed, so you have redemption. And then, then there's a need for man to be in close fellowship with God again. So Adam and Eve throughout their years didn't always walk with the Lord, but, but they needed to be revived again. In the book of Revelation, you have God and man in close fellowship with together again. So you have God and man in the garden, close fellowship. God and man in the end, close fellowship. In the meantime, sin causes a breach, so there's a need for redemption, and sin causes a break in the fellowship, so there's a need for revival. Here's another simple definition of revival. Worshiping God in the Old Testament, worshiping God in faith, looking for the first coming of Christ. Just worshiping God by faith, living by faith, and following God, and worshiping Him, and looking for His first coming. And you have the 400 silent years. There were some people that passed on the truth from one generation to the next, so that when Jesus came, there were some people that were not expecting Him to come the first time, but there were some people that were expecting Him. That would be the chain of revival. Here's one. In the New Testament, worshiping God by faith and looking for the blessed hope and second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just simple, looking for the Lord, living by faith. Here's another one. Uh, being filled with the Spirit. Someone says in the New Testament, the concept of revival or the word is not mentioned. But the concept is throughout. I don't think it's fair to eliminate revival from our vocabulary or from our pursuits just because the word is not mentioned. The concept is all throughout. And that concept is being filled with the Spirit. Or John 15, abiding in Christ and being fruitful. Here's another simple definition. Being right with God and right with man. In other words, I have right worship. My vertical relationship is right and right relationship. My horizontal relationships are right. 
If I can't, if I'm not right with my wife or I'm not right with my children, I'm not right with God. I can't be. That's impossible. It doesn't matter if I can sing. It doesn't matter if I can quote scripture. It doesn't matter if I can uh, preach. It doesn't matter. If I'm not right with my wife, my children, my horizontal relationships, I'm not right with God. So let it be said that, that revival is simply getting right with God and getting right with man. This is, this is my basic definition tonight, and then we'll go through the scripture and see it. It's, it's, it's when, when a Christian's spiritual senses are awakened. When a Christian's spiritual senses are awakened. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, it's coming back to your senses. Tonight, for a few moments, I want to preach to you on that subject. I think it's time to come back to our senses. And I want you to see the five spiritual senses as they're laid out in the Scripture and how revival is simply those senses operating, functioning normally as they ought. Vance Havner said, we live so subnormal that if normal revival ever came along, we would think it'd be abnormal. I think that's a good way to say it. So tonight, let's look at the scripture and see what God has to say about this matter of coming back to our senses. It's time tonight to come back to our senses. Ezekiel 12 and verses 1 and 2 says, The word of the Lord also came unto me, saying, Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear, and they hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Eyes to see. The sense of sight. Ears to hear, but they can't see and they can't hear. Why? Because of rebellion. The opposite of revival. Now, your Bibles are open to Psalm 34. Notice, please, what the Scripture says in verse number 8. In verse number 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, watch this. When you and I are revived, our taste buds are on heightened alert. And they're working well. And we're tasting what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, and we're tasting that the Lord is good. When my spiritual sense of taste is what it ought to be, wow, that's good. We're about to exercise our physical sense of taste in just a few minutes. And some of you say, yeah, the sooner the better, so get this thing over with. And so uh, our spiritual sense of taste is, is necessary to taste and see that the Lord is good. Listen to the scripture. In the book of Psalm 119.103, it says, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Uh, the Bible says to eat honey in Proverbs 24 and verse 13, because it is good in the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste. But the Bible says about the scripture in Psalm chapter 19, moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And we're to taste the word of God. And you know, when you're right with God, when you're close to the Lord, when you're not walking at a guilty distance away from him, when you're not tasting at the hog trough of this world, you're tasting his word and it's sweet. It's good. Yes, it rebukes you. Yes, yes, it, 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 it confronts you, but you keep coming back for more because you know it's good and it's nourishing and it will help you and it will heal you. Are your spiritual taste buds working right now? You know, if, you're not, if they're not working, uh, it may be because you're eating the junk food of this world. Now, you eat all the junk food of this world and eat all that, eat all that junk food and, and you don't like 
peas and carrots and, and vegetables. It, it, when you put the peas and vegetables and carrots and all that before the kids, they say, oh, I'm not real hungry. I, uh, you're not hungry? You were starving just a minute ago. I know, but I'm not real hungry. And then you say, well, honey, what's for dessert? Ice cream. Ice cream? All of a sudden, their hunger comes back, right? Why? Because they have an appetite. Watch this. Appetites can be developed for what is not healthy, for what is filled with sugar. And the world is sweet, but in the afterwards your mouth is full of gravel, the Bible says. The world is sweet, but afterwards you, you, your heart is filled with guilt. The world is sweet. There are pleasures of sin, but they're only for a season. And then they leave wreck and ruin and devastation in their wake, and they leave you with a stomach ache, and they leave you with disease and heartache and brokenness. Watch this. You and I need to regularly be in the Word so that we can cultivate our spiritual sense of taste. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, 4 through 5, the Bible says, speaking to the unsaved Jews, it says it is possible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the world to come. In other words, they got close with the sacrifices. They got close with all the washings and all the ritual, but they, they've tasted of that. They've tasted of the figures of Christ. They've tasted of the shadows of the things to come. But they've got to turn away from that and trust in the real thing. They loved the temple, but they didn't love the God of the temple. Do you see? Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right, now watch. Listen to the scripture, 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. It says, as newborn babes desire, that's a command, an imperative, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you tasted his grace tonight? Have you tasted his forgiveness? Have you tasted his goodness in your home and in your family? Have you tasted the fact that he's reaching out to you and drawing you to himself? Have you tasted the good word of God and tasted the sweet love of the Lord through the sending of his son Jesus to die on the cross? Have you tasted that, that, that God is good? All right, then desire this in serum milk of the word. In other words, he is giving you a command to have an appetite for the word of God. And you can, just like you can develop an appetite for things that are worldly and no good for you, you can develop an appetite for the things that are godly and very good for you, and you'll all of a sudden realize that stuff was no good. Now, I want to ask, is your spiritual sense of taste working, functioning well? What about the sense of smell? The taste has the idea of enjoying God. And by the way, we should enjoy him. We should enjoy his goodness and his word and the blessing that he has and the path that he has us on. I don't want to be a, among the number of Christians that are, that are Christians and they're mad about it. I don't want to be around that crowd. You know what I'm saying? I mean, always grumpy, always mad, always upset, frustrated about this and scowl on their face and crow's nest everywhere on their face and wrinkles on their furrowed brow and, and misery and griping and complaining about that, worried about the news and trauma everywhere and terrible things happening in the Middle East. And there, and there are, I'm not saying we don't acknowledge any of that, but boy, we shouldn't focus on that. Our focus should be on God and his goodness and that we're enjoying his goodness and it should be refreshing. People should look at our life and get a taste of our life because we've been tasting of the word of God and say, I want whatever he's got. I want whatever their marriage is. I want whatever Christianity they have and not see us as all holed up, mad at everything. No, we ought to enjoy God. That's the idea of tasting. With the idea of smelling, it's the matter of discernment. Discernment. That's why God gave you a nose. 
to discern between good and evil, to discern between right and wrong, to discern between what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Discernment. Uh, Listen, your Bibles are open to Psalm 34. Turn to Psalm 45. Psalm 45, notice how it speaks of our Lord. Psalm 45, a prophetic psalm speaking of the Lord Jesus. It says in verse number uh, 6, it says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. Wow. So Jesus has a certain aroma. Yes. And those that have been with Jesus, you can smell it spiritually. You say, oh, that's a little mystical. No, no, it's not. In fact, the Bible says in the book of John chapter 16 about the Holy Spirit that his job is to point others to Christ and to not speak of himself, but to point others to Christ. So if I'm filled with the Spirit... And I've been with Jesus, people are going to be able to, they're just going to be able to know it. Why? Because Jesus is going to be on my lips. Jesus is going to be on my face. You're going to be able to get around me and say, it smells like he's been with Jesus. Now, certain smells are acceptable to us and certain smells not acceptable to us. God gave you a nose to discern the difference between a skunk and a rose. I hope you can. I'm actually appalled at the horrible lack of discernment these days amongst God's people. You you know, just because the name Jesus is on the singing group doesn't mean they're all about Jesus. Just because the name church is on the front sign doesn't mean it is one. Just because they've got a Bible verse doesn't mean you that they're walking with the Lord. You've got to discern the difference between what is good and what is bad. What is acceptable to the Lord, says his garments, they smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. Uh, uh, The Song of Solomon says in chapter 2 and verse 1, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Jesus is the rose and the the lily. And they have a certain aroma, a certain fragrance. Hebrews 5 and verse 14 says, Strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Can you discern between what's right and wrong? Does it pass the smell test? Now, how many of you grew up in a home where you were taught that you eat everything? You just eat everything on your plate. Clean plate club. Let me see. It. Let me see. It. Okay, yeah. I did. I did for sure. Uh, my wife, she didn't. Now, she didn't. Her parents, uh, they, they just did things a little bit different. Uh, one day, she was putting some... We, we were taught that if it, even if it was expired, you still ate it. You know, if you can just inch it past the gag reflex, you just get it down. You're not going to waste food, you know. And so, one day, I was... Uh, uh, watching my wife, and she was cleaning something out from the refrigerator, and it was past expired, and she was putting it in the trash. I said, what are you doing? She looked at me, and she said, it's expired. I said, well, he's wasting food, and I think that's terrible, and you shouldn't be doing that. She just kind of rolled her eyes. I said, my parents were raised in the Depression. She said, mine weren't. <laughs> so you, you understand it. And you know, I appreciate the good culinary taste that my wife has brought out in me that I don't have to eat everything even though it's bad. You know, it, 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 it's, it's okay to have some discernment and say no sometimes. Now, my, all my kids, they, they follow different paths between me and my wife. Uh, some of my kids, they, they, they don't just shovel it in. 
They, first they say, what is it? Then they'll say, oh, what does it taste like? And then they'll take a little bit on the end of a spoon and they'll smell it. And then they might just taste it. What are they doing? Well, they're just they're exercising their senses. And that's, that's good. It's good. I, I wouldn't want them to, to have problems. Do you, you know, that's why you have your taste and your sense, and they work together. Well, well let me ask you, what did COVID do? It attacked our sense of smell and taste. I got COVID in October of 2020, and uh, I may have had it once or twice since. It's very convenient to just say, well, I've got COVID now. Anyway, uh, um, I, I remember getting it, and you know how I knew I had it? Because I didn't like coffee, and I love coffee. It all tasted burnt. And I didn't li like Doritos. They all tasted bad. And who doesn't like Doritos? So what happened? My sense of smell and taste were gone. And that made me not want to eat. And that affected a lot of other areas. Now, I have a friend, Alton Beal. Some of you may know him. And a few years ago, he was playing basketball, and somebody moved to block him, and he fell back, and he hit his head. He got a concussion. He hasn't been able to taste or smell since then. And, uh, and one day, he, I was in his office, and I noticed a great big white bone in his office. I said, what is that? He said, oh, that's a vertebrae of a whale. I said, what? Yeah, yeah, it's a vertebrae. I said, where'd you get it? He said, well, my family and I were vacationing out on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and he said there was a beached whale, and it had been there for some time, and it smelled bad. My family couldn't get anywhere near it, but it didn't bother me. He said, I got right in the middle of it, and I found a piece of bone. I wrestled that bone and got it out, and he said, I took it home, let it sit out in the sun, and bleached it, and there it is vertebrae of a whale about that big. Now, the, you know the truth of the matter is, watch this, when you first got saved, your conscience was awakened by the Holy Spirit like it had never been before. And all of a sudden, the things that were rotten and putrefying and wicked that this world think are normal and okay, ooh, bothered you. Hearing curse words on television and God's name blasphemed, it just bothered you. But after a while, the desensitization of this world ratches it up so that it attacks our sense of smell and taste spiritually so that we can be up to our eyeballs in filth and rot and rotting, decaying flesh, and it just doesn't bother us anymore. How about it? I wonder if I'm speaking to a man, it used to bother you when you'd see things on TV or on your phone that were nakedness, and now there's just a lingering look. And you can get around that flesh and that rot, and it doesn't bother you anymore. How about it, somebody here used to be bothered when you said something unkind and in anger towards another, and, and you'd go back and you'd ask for forgiveness and, and try to keep a heart right with the Lord and right with man, but now you can blow up and it doesn't bother you. You just do it and you just feel like you've got a right to do it, and all that rotten flesh and smell is all around you and you're up to your eyeballs in it. I want to ask you tonight, do you need to come back to your sense of smell? And say, God, I don't want the flesh and rot of this world, and I must have the sweet aroma of Jesus. You know what the Bible says about the disciples? It says that they took knowledge of them, that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but that they had been with Jesus just by being around them.
I want us to think right now about the sense of hearing. There's the sense of, of taste, that's enjoying God's goodness. There's the sense of smell, that's discerning between good and evil and choosing the good. Uh, what about the sense of hearing? Uh, Nehemiah, Psalm chapter 40, would you turn to your left to Psalm chapter 40? Notice what the Bible says in verse number 6. Psalm chapter 40 and verse 6. It's a sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then I said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. What did he say? Mine ears hast thou opened. Maybe some of us need some, some spiritually speaking some ear cleansing. Lord, would you open my ears to hear? A parent is frustrated with their child because they said it, and they know they said it in English. Maybe they said it in two or three different languages, but they know they said it in a language that their kid understood, and their kid went to do the errand and came back with something totally different. Say, so, is there something wrong? Do we need to check your ears? Have you cleaned your ears lately? Is there something that I didn't say? I said it in English. In fact, I'm about to say it in three or four other languages unless you go do what I said. Right? And parents get frustrated that their kids don't hear. Sometimes wives are frustrated that their husbands don't hear. Sometimes husbands, it's not so much the other way, but, but, but it is sometimes husbands get frustrated that their wives don't hear. They say, what, what was it about it that I didn't explain, that I didn't articulate it? Was it me? Did I not speak clearly in a sane, sensible, common sense way? Mine ears hast thou opened. I want to ask, do you have some spiritual deadness in your ears. Man came to home and he said, boy, I'm just really concerned about my wife. She's really concerned. She's going deaf and, and I'm going to have to get some hearing aids. So he got inside the door. He stepped inside and he said, "What, honey, what time is supper? Didn't raise his voice, just a common voice. No response. He said, I knew it. She stepped about five feet closer and he said, honey, what time is supper? No response. He said, that's it. I'm going to go get her some hearing aids tomorrow. He stepped right behind her and he said, honey, what time is supper? She said, for the third time, six o'clock. <laughs> and you know, sometimes our ears just aren't open. Now I want to ask, are your ears spiritually open? Uh, listen to the scripture. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8 and verse 3, he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. This has to do with understanding, hearing and understanding God's word. Psalm 78 and verse 1, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened. Psalm 78 verse 1, give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Proverbs 23 and verse 12, apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. After speaking about the preaching of ministry of John the Baptist and that Elias had already come, Jesus said in Psalm Matthew 11 and verse 15, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Upon the parable of the seed and the soil and the sower, Jesus said in Matthew 13 and verse 9, who hath ears, 
let, to hear, let him hear. After speaking of eternal judgment, Jesus spoke in Matthew 13 and verse 43, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Acts 7 and verse 51, when Stephen confronted the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees for their wickedness and their wicked rebellious heart that killed Jesus, he said, he's stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. And ironically, just a few verses later, do you know what they did? They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, the Bible says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Revelation 2 and verse 3, to every single church, Jesus Christ said in his last word, which was not go, his last word to the church was repent. Why? They need a revival. And to every single church, five, he gave them rebuke. Two, he gave encouragement. He said, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. The pastor preaches. He's pleading for people to get right. But sometimes the pastor wonders if anybody's listening. Sometimes the pastor wonders why everybody is, is tuning him out. Why some people are sleeping. Why some people don't seem to get it. Do you know what a pastor says after he's preached a truth over and over and over and over and somebody takes that truth, sets it aside, or throws it with caution to the wind. They, the pastor goes home at night and says, Did, didn't I preach it clearly? I thought we addressed this. Didn't I preach a series on this very matter? Well, I know they were there during that time. What is it about my preaching that is not acceptable? And sometimes when he calls for an invitation, it's crickets. Crickets. Oh, you said, preacher, I suppose you're one of those preachers that believe in the public invitation. Yes, I am. Because Jesus was for it. And John the Baptist was for it. And Jeremiah and Isaiah and a whole bunch of other Bible preachers. And do you know one reason why I believe preachers just give up on the invitation altogether? is because they preach 150 sermons a year to 160, maybe even 200 sermons, and when they do give an invitation, 5% of the time people respond. You will never convince me that that's spiritual. Never. Never. God's people should respond. And if you won't respond to the preaching of the pastor on a regular basis, why would he believe that you're hearing we need to come back to our spiritual sense of hearing. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Do you have an ear? You say, well, as a matter of fact, I have two. Well, you know what that means? That means you're doubly responsible. We need a revival of our spiritual sense of taste. We need a revival of our spiritual sense of smell. We need a revival of our spiritual sense of hearing. What about seeing? As you grow old, the eyes go dim. I'm 49, and I have glasses, but I hate wearing them. Uh, maybe I should, though, because it would make me astute and at least look very intelligent like your pastor. I, I need to get out my glasses. That's it. I'm just going to get out my glasses. Uh, but, but why I hate wearing them? I, I just am still in denial that, that I my eyes are changing, but my eyes are changing. 
And, and you know, your eyes grow dim as you grow older. Spiritually, if you keep walking with God, your eyes grow clearer. Now watch. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18, God says the prayer of, of Paul for the church at Ephesus was that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of the, his inheritance in the saints. In Acts 28, 27, it says, For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed. That's not an old age problem. That's a heart problem. Their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and lest they should hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Does that make any sense to you? If you'd open your eyes, you could be healed. But you're going to go on in disease, he says. I want to heal them. No, no, I've got my eyes closed. I've got my mind made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. This has to do with wisdom. Uh, seeing has to do with wisdom. Hearing has to do with understanding. Smelling has to do with discernment. Uh, tasting has to do with enjoyment. Listen to the scripture, 2 Peter 2.14, having eyes full of adultery and they cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart have, they have exercised with covetous practices. Cursed children, Acts 26.18, the gospel is given to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Is there anybody here tonight that doesn't know Christ? That his eyes that have never been opened for the first time? Won't you come to Jesus tonight? Can't you hear him as he reaches down in the far, far echo chamber of your heart and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Can't you hear him as he cries and says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can't you hear him as he says, he, he says that he wants you to repent and believe the gospel. Can't you hear him as he says, today is the day of salvation. Can't you hear him as he says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Can't you hear him as he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come to Jesus. Call upon Jesus. Receive him as your Savior tonight. He's coming down, and when he saves you, all of a sudden your eyes see for the very first time. How many of you trusted Christ as Savior, and you said, I, all of a sudden that one piece of the puzzle was put in place, and I saw the whole picture for the first time like I'd never seen it before. All of a sudden, when I trusted Christ as my Savior, all of a sudden I could understand things that I never understood before. Why? Because God gave you eyes to see. But how many of us who are saved and have had our eyes open the first time, sometimes we just go asleep on the Lord? Or we've been knocked unconscious by the things of this world. And they're over us. And the EMS workers, the spiritual EMS workers are trying to get smelling salts and trying to get oxygen to us and trying to figure out if we have a pulse and trying to check and make sure and trying to poke and prod and get us under tests, trying to inject us with whatever uh, kind of uh, saline or whatever we need to get things going again just so that we can see. What about our spiritual sense of feeling? You say, oh, preacher, this is a Baptist church. We don't talk about that. Time out. Did you know that feeling and emotions are one-third of your soul? We're body, soul, spirit. We're tripartite. We're like the plants in that we have a body. We're like the animals in that we have a body and a soul, not in the animals have a soul that lives forever, but they have mind, emotions, and will. 
And we're like the Lord in that we have a body, soul, and spirit. That spirit is that God-shaped hole that only Jesus Christ can fill. And until we receive him and until he fills it, that it will, it, nothing in life will ever make sense. But back up and look at the soul. The soul is one-third of our, it, the soul includes the mind, the emotion, and the will. It's one-third. Feelings are one-third. Now, they shouldn't be in the driver's seat, but they shouldn't be kicked to the curb and not even considered. And what is feeling? It's sensing. It's sensing. Where would you be without your spiritual, your physical sense of sensing? Touch. You taste. You smell. You see. You hear. You touch. Where would we be without it? All the nerve endings that are running through our body and running to every part of our being. And they scream when we're in pain and they rejoice when we delight. All of those are necessary. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Watch this. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Acts 17, 27 through 30, he says that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring, for as much then as you are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the God it is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art man's device and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent." Now, you might not be able to actually describe what the presence of God feels like, but you know what it doesn't feel like. You know when you're walking with the Lord, and you're right with God, and you're right with your fellow man, and there's a joy in your heart. You know when it feels good, and you know when you're not. And when it doesn't feel good, you know physically when you feel great. How you doing? I'm doing great. Ready to conquer a mountain. How you feeling? I'm not doing so good today. Well, if you know that physically, you can know that spiritually. And we do. And you know what? Sin causes our feeling to be deadened. It causes our spiritual sense of touch and our spiritual sense of feeling, our conscience to be seared with a hot iron so that things that used to frighten us and used to bother us don't bother us anymore. Do you know when leprosy infected a body? One of the ultimate disasters of leprosy is that it took away the nerve endings so that they could not feel. So that if leprosy was on my hand and I had no ability to feel, I could have my hand on a burning stove and not even realize it was on before it was too late. Oh, God, give us some Christians tonight who will feel after him, who will cry out for his presence, who will say, Lord, I don't want my feelings to be in the driver's seat, but I sure want your presence to be in me and on me and through me, and I don't want to live life as if I'm just going through the motions, all mechanical, and I don't sense your presence, and I don't sense your power, and I don't see you like I saw you once before. The songwriter wrote, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty. Glorify true belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the 
fall. If you hurry or tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will save me from my sin by the riches of his merit. There is joy and life in him. I would say tonight is a good night to have revival and a good night to come back to our spiritual senses. Would you bow with me in prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, my heart and longing is for this church body to be revived in their hearts and their spiritual senses awakened so that once again they're right with you and right with each other. And Lord, that's my heart for me. Lord, I pray that you would send to our our church body, this church body, real, genuine revival coming back to our senses. I wonder with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you'd say, preacher, I know that I'm saved. I'm sure that I'm on my way to heaven. But you'd say, Brother Smith, tonight as you've been preaching, God has touched my heart about one or more than one of my spiritual senses that need revived. Would you pray that I would respond rightly to the Spirit of God and to the Word of God and have the revival that God wants for me? If that's you, would you slip up your hand right now? Praise the Lord. Good, good. Anyone else? Along with these, just slip up your hand and put it right back down. Anyone else? Yes? Amen. In a moment, we're going to sing a few verses of turn your eyes upon Jesus. And if you just raised your hand, don't wait. In fact, you can come right now if God's speaking to your heart. Don't wait. You come and have the Lord have his way in your heart and in your life. Two more questions. How many of you would say, preacher, there's some things that I have yet to learn, but there's one thing I know. If I died today, I'd go to heaven. If I died 10 years from now, I'd go to heaven because there's been a point in time when I've accepted God's gift of eternal life. Now, if you don't know that, please don't raise your hand. But if you do, would you just slip your hand up right now as a testimony to that fact? Yes, I know that I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. Thank you. May put your hands down. I wonder if you say, preacher, I don't know that. I'm one of those that, that just needs life in the first place. I'm not sure I've ever been born again. Would you pray for me that I would get that settled tonight? If that's you with heads bowed or eyes closed, would you just slip up your hand? Is there anybody here like that, man or woman, young or old? All right, let's stand to our feet, shall we, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, speak to us now and help us to respond to you rightly as we ought. In Jesus' name.